0: You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. Well, what up, everybody? It's your boy, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders Podcast. And today, before we even start... Let I me mean, introduce my co-pilot. It's another fellow crusader, the one and only Seven of the bar. What up, kiddo?
1: What's up? How you guys doing?
0: All righty. Today, brother, we're going to talk to a legend. A legend. I mean, my man has done the Dick Tracy comics. He is the creator of Road to Perdition. I mean, and right now through Neotech, he has a fantastic new project. It's like a nineteen forty style Who done it? you know, Named Fancy Anders Go to War, right, with award-winning artist uh, and illustrator, uh, Faye Dalton, collaborating with him. Let me bring on this amazing legend, the one and only Max Allen Collins.
2: What's going on, sir? Man, you got me excited. And, I, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty bored with me. So how, you getting me excited is a pretty good deal.
0: Yeah, let's spread the energy. Let's get it done, Max. I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you for taking some time out of your busy day to just hang out a bit and talk about, you know, a bit about your journey and this awesome new project of uh, via Neotext you have coming out. It actually started reading, and I'm a, I, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. I'm a third through a third. <laughs>
2: but it, it's it's a you know it's not not comics, but it's heavily illustrated. It, it's a bit of mm-hmm. a, a, a throwback. You know, to th- you know how the old-time, really old-time adventure novels like Treasure Island and so on—they'd have a beautiful color, you know, full-page plate, and then you'd read the chapter, and then you turn the page. It'd be another you know, of these full-color plates of, you know, just setting the tone for it. And uh, we'd been talking about doing it that way from the beginning, but when we when Faye Dalton came aboard to do the cover. We were talking about who would do you know who should we get when we saw her cover it was just like we're done she's got to do all the art and she's great she just yeah, captures yeah. that that era uh perfectly
0: yeah and and that cover i'll show in a little bit it is it, gorgeous gorgeous i mean it, it, it's a great mix between you and her especially with your style I mean it definitely fits that old school looking narrative that, that you're going for. So Absolutely. I can't wait till people pick this up and eat it up and, and appreciate this old school retro style uh you know in the in the now. I enjoy it. Uh but before we even I'm get curious, into that, Max, Max just Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. But I'm go curious, ahead, Max. How did how did you end up hooking up with Faye? How did that work out?
2: Well actually uh she she did she just is one of a number of artists that they lined up. Titan lined up for hard case crime comics, uh, to do the covers of two two series I did. I did I have a, a a prose novel series called Quarry that's about a hitman. And we did one graphic novel about Quarry called Quarry's War. This was a year or two ago. And then we also did a Mike Hammer uh graphic novel. It was called the night i died well she did covers for you know they were published four issues per graphic novel and collected but she did covers for both of them and all the covers were really quite good but her covers were just there was something about them they just they just talked to me so so uh the neotex guys are just phenomenal about taking input from creators i mean you know, some publishers just roll right over you, oh, and yeah. they, you know, all, we actually went through. Uh, I know for another book we did, we went through three artists, some of whom were really great artists that just weren't right for that project. And frankly, I came back and said, "Let's see what Faye Dalton's doing," <laughs> <laughs> and she, 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 she's doing the cover for that too. So, so I mean, if you if you find somebody that's in sync with you uh, artistically. Uh, you know, you don't need to look around anymore.
0: Yeah, that is going by the Jimster okay. Rank's psychomagnetism. Yeah, you know, what he means by that. The psycho that is people of the of a like mind, it's like energy, if you will. It's some it's just that synchronicity between you guys, right? <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> Which is amazing. Um, but I want to go back. I want people to get familiar with you, sir. Sure. So you know, just, just go back a little bit about yourself. I mean, where are you from? Where did you grow up, and and how did you get into this crazy business? And, and why even this specific, you know, genre, you know, that that you're in with with, with the noir and detective and all that?
2: Oh boy, you know, it's hard for me to boil it down. I'm I'm not a young guy, so there's a lot to cover. So I'll try, <laughs> not, to, I'll try not to fall asleep in the weeds or anything. But uh, <laughs> I I grew up in Muscatine, Iowa, which is right on the Mississippi River. I can see Illinois from my house. That's where I am. And um, I still live here. I, I have never left Muscatine, Iowa, a little town, 30,000 people. Uh, been around a bit, but always come back to the Batcave, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, I grew up in, a, in an era when, right when the comic books started being censored, right when the comics code came in, so I would go to like an old used bookstore where they had the old comics, which you could buy for $0.05 cents and $0.10. Cents. These would be like you could buy an EC comic book for $0.10, cents, a used one. Oof. Not a bad bargain even in at that time. Oof. And so I was reading all this stuff that I was not supposed to be reading, obviously, and then still following on with the other stuff because Superman was still being published and Batman was still being published. And some cool stuff was coming from Dell. And I, I, I just love comics. I grew up loving comics and wanting to be a cartoonist and drawing cartoons and taking my comic, my homemade comic books to school. We didn't have photocopiers, so you just have one copy and you'd say, here, pass this around. And by the end of the day, you know, homeroom in junior high, you'd, give them, you'd hand it out. And at the end of the day, it would come back to you, that kind of thing. Oh really? You actually got it back? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's Iowa. You know, we're 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 still rather dull here. Uh, But uh, so that was that was the beginning. But also along the way, you know, there was even EC and Dick Tracy in particular were crime comics. And so I'm at the same time I'm reading comic books. I'm reading Sherlock Holmes. I'm reading The Saint. And then by the time I'm into to junior high there were tv shows based on a lot of the the classic characters there was a mike hammer show before stacy keach mike mm-hmm. hammer played by the night stalker darren mcgavin wow and uh there was a you know a thin man show there was perry mason the real perry mason not the hbo perry mason <laughs> 77 sunset and so i loved all that stuff and i drifted away from the the drawing and and wanted to write, you know, write like Mickey Spillane. I wanted to write hard-boiled private eye stories, and that was the path I went down. But I never lost my my love for comics. I was telling somebody the other day, um, it just was so different then. This is the like the 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 early '60s, and I was on a high school. You know, we probably had 150 kids in our class. I was the one who read comics. Okay. I mean. It, it was not something it, in what really sparked it was the, the Batman TV show. And then, then it took off. People were reading comics and because Marvel happened right around the same time. And those are such great comics. So, you know, but for a long time, I was the guy on the bus reading the Spider-Man yeah. comic book. And were you like, one, look, at I, Colin, <laughs> look at this idiot. You know, the idiot was that I didn't hold word. a comic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, we could relate.
0: Yeah. <laughs> many books. Many books I had in my hand, but, Max. But I, you know, I was
2: a nerd uh, <laughs> long before it was fashionable. And, yep. uh, and then what really happened was when I started doing my novels in the early 70s, uh, I had a character in one of them, in two of them, actually, who was a comic book collector. And so I had kept my comics interest, and, and they approached me. When Chester Gould, the creator of Dick Tracy, was about to retire, somebody basically said, you know, there's this guy in Iowa writing mystery novels who seems to know something about comics. They had no idea I'd been a Dick Tracy fanatic since I was <laughs> seven years old. Oh, wow. So I got a chance to try out for for it, and they chose me. And for 15 years, I wrote the Dick Tracy comic strip. And during that time, it was... What I was doing in the comic strip, a lot of you know, comics creators that era, as is true today, they came up through fan, through a fandom. It may not have been organized, but they came up through a fandom. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the people in the comics world, like Danny O'Neill, were reading what I was doing, and so in Dick Tracy, so the door opened for comic books. Wow! And so that's how I got to to do comic books. And I did a, I did a year of Batman. It wasn't terribly well received. But <laughs> I did it, and uh, you know, and then from that came you know, mystery was the, was the indie world, and Terry Beatty and I did that uh, for a long time, fifty issues. Wow, great! Before we moved to DC and did ten more, uh, it's, so it's the longest running private eye comic book of all time. So, oh, so it's, nice you know, fact there you know I didn't, I didn't plan any of this stuff i think I, I think that think and i don't think you can i think careers have to be organic growing out of what you're interested in and what you love to do and i think particularly in in, in comics popular culture in general but in comics you it, it's got to come out of enthusiasm and love it's 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 too hard it's just too hard to, to, to do it cynically you, you, it it doesn't work, and I think people I think people smell phony a mile away.
0: Oh yeah, nowadays, yeah, heck yeah, heck yeah. Is
2: that just that answer I know I went yeah. on a little long there. Does no, that, answer it?
0: that that answers everything. And I know Sever had a question because you did since you mentioned how long you were doing Dick Tracy for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. go ahead, Sever, ask that question. Yeah,
1: because you know you you were doing Dick Tracy and everything and. You grew up off of Perry Mason. Now I grew up off of like Perry Mason, Natlock, Kojak, you know. Oh, yeah. When you're growing up with the rabbit ears for your TV <laughs> and you don't got that cable box.
2: Yeah, Colombo.
1: You gotta watch.
2: Columbo. Yes, sir. Files. Oh, yeah. Columbo. Whoa, Columbo yeah, yeah, was right. the
1: funniest one. But when <laughs> it came down to Perry Mason, like I dreaded it because as a kid, I thought that black and white was boring. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I hadn't even experienced black and white comics or anything yet. But then the Dick Tracy comic strips would be right next to the Boondocks and the Sunday Funnies and everything like that. And I know you were responsible for a run. Can you expound upon that and you know how you felt about the transfer? Because Perry Mason went from black and white to color. How you felt about the transfer from the black and white funnies to the color comics and eventually to a color film?
2: Well, you know the what was interesting about writing a comic strip a continuity comic because in that era that i was doing that it was not yet it still was it still was something kind of passe because if you go back to the 30s and 40s there were a lot more story strips and adventure strips than there were humor strips and the way it was set up and this was still the case when i was doing it you're doing the black and white during the you know during the week and then on sunday you've got the color section And what is interesting about it and and tricky from a um, storytelling standpoint is some people only saw it in the Daily Strip and other people only saw it in the Sunday Strip. And then some people saw both. So you had to figure out a way to tell the story that wasn't boring to somebody who saw the whole thing and yet repeated enough on Sunday so that people reading it Sunday to Sunday without those black and white strips in between wouldn't know what the hell was going on. And that, that's a trick. It's almost poetry. Uh, And uh, I always, you know, I actually experienced Dick Tracy in the Dick Tracy comic books because when I was a kid, they reprinted the the strips in comic books and and it was not in sync with the newspaper. It was stuff that had happened been published years before and, and some of that stuff was like incredibly violent um <laughs> my <laughs> it's it's amazing <laughs> to me that my mother started me on that stuff when i was six or seven years old because she had loved dick tracy in the paper when she was like in san diego and then my dad was 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 posted there in the navy yeah. and out to imperial county <laughs> well, it's just it, yes, and so I she loved it, and she never, you know. I, I God bless her. I I I had exposure to Tarzan. I had exposure to all this stuff that is supposed to twist your brain, and I think it did twist my brain. Very <laughs> happy with the way my brain is, is is twisted because I I I've really only held I've only held a couple of real jobs in my life. I mean to me I'm a guy who's been able to do his hobby and get paid for it. Oh, which wow. is you know don't tell anybody to give me money, please, because I <laughs> <laughs> I, I do need the, I do need electricity in the house to be able to do
0: So crazy. So how does it feel about that Dick Tracy movie?
2: Yeah, it's I have an I have some interesting stuff on that because um, when I first took the strip. Over in 77, late 77, in 78 or 79, I was shown the a script for a Dick Tracy movie. And the, the editor there asked me what I thought of it. And I said, I think it's absolutely terrible. I'm going to be frank with you. I want to make a big movie. This is horrible. <laughs> and so years went by and years went by. And they they came to me and said... Well, we the movie's gonna be a movie. Dick Tracy movie's gonna be made. And it was I had, I think they were a different editor in at that time. And uh I was being considered to do the novel, the movie novel, the movie novelization. And so I said, Well, send me the script. And and again, this is like maybe twelve years later. It was the same script. <laughs> oh, damn. And really? it was and I thought it was terrible. And uh but you know, okay, they're making it. They want me to write the book. So uh, and I did some consulting on the, on it because one thing I think every, I think you will agree that they did a great job on recreating uh, visually oh. the look of the strip and the, yeah, the
0: aesthetics, were, particularly
2: were, the, the, the bad guys, particularly the grotesque villains. So I mean, that was flat top, that was prune face. They, they were, you know, that was terrific. And they were having good luck when they were filming it with how that was coming across. And they actually came to me and said, who are some other villains we could put in? Because they knew the famous ones. And so I I knew the whole run of the strip. So I gave them half a dozen and gave them, you know, reference material on what these characters would look like. And uh, so, so I had a little tiny bit of input there. Okay. And then the other thing that was interesting was that I changed some things in the novelization, and the producer of the movie called me. Now that listen, I did a lot of <laughs> novelizations. That's the only time I heard from a producer of the movie, and he he said, and he was calling me for Warren Beatty because Warren Beatty apparently didn't talk to anybody directly. So so he said Warren wants to know why you changed this, you changed this, and you changed that, and you changed that. And I explained it to him that uh, an example would be Tess Trueheart's mother was in the in the in the script was very negative about Dick Tracy, did not like Dick Tracy, did not want her daughter running around with Dick Tracy. And I changed that around to where she liked Dick Tracy. And they said, why did you do that? And I said, well, because the origin of Dick Tracy is the Dick Tracy found out who killed that woman's husband. So she doesn't hate him. Mm-hmm. He's a great guy who, 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 who trapped. That was the beginning of Dick Tracy. This, this would have been like, uh, I don't know, this would be like not getting the Batman origin correct. And so, <laughs> only
0: one of them died that night, not both. only
2: <laughs> one died the other one. It was like, good, I didn't like him anyway. Mm-hmm. So, it, 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 so when I said that, there was but, like a long you... silence. And they, they listen, so they started listening to me on that stuff. And so I actually impacted this is so bizarre. I write the novelization and it impacted the movie, which had already been shot, but they reshot that that scene with Tess Truehart's uh uh mom and they and then the rest of it they did with you know dialogue in the back of heads and you know they they changed it by off-camera dialogue. And I actually have some dialogue in, in that movie. <laughs> uh but uh and it is not. It is not a good. This is. This is gives the lie to the story idea that we all agree about. The story needs to be good, but in fact, the story isn't very good. But the movie is beautiful to look at, and it does capture the feel of Dick Tracy. It seems to be sincere. I think Beatty really loved Dick Tracy. I, I, I've I liken it to a beautifully restored car vintage car but when you lift the hood there's no motor in there
0: <laughs> yo yeah yep yeah, yep yeah, yeah. i get that 100 wow that is deep right there.
2: Now, now you
1: yourself are no stranger to rewriting origins why did you decide to do what you did with jason todd oh yeah man.
2: oh yeah well they, <laughs> i mean how did i how, how did i manage to come up with a, a, a robin who people would would phone in uh, death? Subject, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it got him.
1: Kill him! Kill him! Kill him! Now, now, perfect. Now, now personally, that's my favorite run. That's my favorite, uh, Robin, because I'm not, I'm not really too big of a fan with the with the fairy boots. But you know, I got myself my my Robin tattoo over here. You know what I'm saying? The Red Hood joint. You know what I mean? Well,
2: how how old, that you that how old so, were you? Zaro style. How old were you? Know,
1: re- Could you repeat that, sir?
2: How old were you when the, when you're reading those?
1: um i was about 18 or 19
2: okay because the one of the interesting things i find is particularly the younger kids the ones who were 12 to 14 really really kind of dig those comics it's it's the ones who took batman in my opinion too seriously that that didn't like it uh but i it wasn't my idea to do an origin it was it, i that i was assigned that i was told to do that and but all I executed it, it was, you know, the stealing the tire off the car and all that stuff, which made some fans. Mad. Now,
1: hang on. Did you get Max? Max, did you get that from uh, the jingle, like the jingle bells, Batman smells? Did you get that from there?
2: No. When you will. no, no, no when did that when did that start inspiration. what, what was the inspiration in? me.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh but
0: uh oh I really you you
2: think that go it got bit off of you red, interesting is it red uh, what is it the red hook or what is red the, hood red hood yeah I, yeah red I'm hood he, i'm told he's jason todd is that right
0: yes
1: yes yes sir yeah, I, yeah, got the redhead tattoo, when, man.
2: when they, when they, when I leave it, uh, something, I tend to stop reading it, I, and I, or or if I <laughs> if I do something on TV, I, like, I did the did two NYPD Blue novels, and I was watching it, religiously, and then once I wrote the books, I stopped watching it. I can't, I can't explain that. Was like okay, <laughs> I did that, and I'm done with that. You know, but now but I'm not I still a fan of the Buzz, movie.
1: but that TV show was great. Oh yeah. And. And you you inspired the TV show?
2: No, I I, I was hired to do uh, two novels, uh, end nice. novels using the characters uh, from the TV show. I did the I, I did that for a long time with CSI. I was the licensing writer for five years, and uh, I had a guy who worked with me named Matt Clements, who's a great writer. Uh, so it it's it, it, you know, I've had a good opportunity to do different kinds of things. And some people will turn their nose up at novelizations of movies and so on. But I, I'm kind of, and I've done this to myself, I'm typed as one kind of writer. And when I was doing novelizations, I got to do science fiction, I got to do horror, I got to do war stories. I, I you know, I did a pot, you know, I I did a I did Scorpion King. I did the Mummies. The oh, mummy nice. Mummy. So, so to me, that uh, in in addition to letting me do some of my enthusiasms for other stuff outside my what's defined as my wheelhouse, uh, I learned how to do some things I didn't know how to do. I mean, you you, you anything in the arts. Or, I mean, you know, you can study things in the arts. You can go to classes and so on. But honestly, it's basically got to be self-taught. It's it's trial and error. It's you know, and it's expressing yourself and trying to get your craft up to the level that the things you want to express can be received by somebody on the other end. Uh, But if you cannot, you can't really teach somebody how to write. They have to come in and they have to. They can they can get tips. I can give them. I can help them, but they better have some. And it's not talent exactly. I think it's. I think it's more drive and desire. And you gotta be a little smart. You can't be an idiot. But I. I know. I know a lot of C students that do a work. So it's.
0: And gotta be brave as well to put the stuff out there like brave. that.
2: You know, this is way off topic, but you know we lost Norm Macdonald.
0: Oh yes, I know. Yeah. There
2: man. was never anybody more brave in the in the popular arts than that guy. Yeah. He he was he was on the he was he was poised to be the next Bill Murray. And the boss said, "Don't do this." And he said, "You know what? I'm going to do this because this is
0: because <laughs> yes,
2: this is what's inside of me. And I need to express it." And he didn't care.
0: No, he didn't. Very expressive. The
2: outpouring, person. the outpouring that guy got, and you know, I hope he, I hope he know, knew, or I hope he knows how people felt about him.
0: I'm sure he did, man, because I think in life that a lot of people gave him his flowers. He was great, you know. He had his opportunity, and you know, and if those that didn't speak up, then you know, there you go, you missed out, guys. But I hope he's listening.
2: Yeah, uh, he was fearless. He, he was fearless. But if you're fearless, you, you there are a, pro, a price to pay. Medi- mediocrity, you never get in trouble for mediocrity. You, you know, you may make a living, but uh, like I said, this is my ho- don't tell anybody, but this is my hobby. This is what I want to do. Anyway.
0: <laughs> I love it. I tried. I, love bus-
2: it. I tried bussing tables. I did not think that was like a career path for me. Oh, so
0: you weren't doing it just to get into character for the next novel? No. Okay. No. No. <laughs> Yeah, I want to start talking about this next little new project from Neotex. You know, we were talking about the how gorgeous the cover is. I mean, oh, yeah. look at that. Look at that.
2: She's fantastic. A- crazy. Amazing,
0: crazy. yo. Yeah. <laughs> right? Crazy, crazy, crazy. So, you know, this is again, folks, being published via Neotex. And, you know. So is that description correct? That 40 styles, who done it? What's going on here? Can you give yeah, us a little I think, insight?
2: I think you're you right on the on the money. Uh, the the subject matter, I, I I've done a lot of historical stuff. I really like the the private eye kind of thing. The noir the whole that that whole area is very attractive to me.
1: I mean, I like the. What, it was what to- drew you, What drew you to that, Max? Was it the violence that you were talking about, or was it the pivot <laughs> models? Because that was the only thing that actually got my attention growing up with like Perry Mason.
2: Well, you know they all they always criticize the writers who who do this kind of thing for sex and violence. Yeah, I turn will turn right around and say, okay, sex is life, violence is death. Those are the two big topics. It's really you know yeah. So, so don't tell me all existential on them. Two big topics. And a good story always has a conflict. And I and, and so a mystery, a crime story inherently has a conflict. Somebody got bumped off, there was a conflict. And 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 so that I think, and I didn't know that's why I was drawn to it, but in retrospect, I think that's why I was drawn to it. I also think whether it's Sherlock Holmes or Dick Tracy or Batman, that strong heroic figure. But they all, also somebody who breaks the rules a bit is an mm-hmm. outsider. I think that's very attractive. Uh, you, you don't you don't see anybody really wanting the really old old fashioned. You probably don't even know this name, but there was a character years ago called Jack Armstrong, all American boy, and he's just the kind of guy that would make you want to throw up. I mean, <laughs> it's. You don't want you don't want somebody too clean cut. Sherlock Holmes was a messed up guy. I mean, he yeah, he was a heroin. He, yeah, cocaine, <laughs> cocaine,
1: cocaine. Yeah, cocaine. yeah he, he
2: was wasn't, Oh, It was
1: coke because I he remember I, I saw a PBS story and he was shooting up. He was shooting up, but it was coke.
0: <laughs> oh, jeez, bro.
2: Yeah, it was pretty wow. hard.
0: Did Sherlock Holmes ever go to Coke? Did he
2: ever? Word. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: was he God, ever shooting up bit. in between his toes? Did that, that Doyle write it like that?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think was it's the PBS version PG. I think you know, I think somebody like Doyle is is just a good writer who's following. See these characters, you get an idea. And and Fancy Andrews was this way for me. She kind of once I got the basic idea, she leads the way, and a really good character on some weird subconscious level takes over and you don't even know why you're having that character do something or say something or react. And to me, if, it, if that means you're really connecting with, with, with creativity, with, with genuine. Creativity. Do, you have, do you have a favorite character that you've created?
1: Well, I like, cause it seems it, like you have picked up off of a lot of runs, but do you have one
2: that you, you know, that's like your baby. You mean of my own? yes sir uh well i would say because i if it's not my own it's my camera uh but of my own it would be either quarry who is a uh, a hitman he was the first hitman that uh starred essentially in a book series uh, it wasn't just a one-off it was that he he's he's the he's the hero sort of anti-hero and he was based on a friend of mine um uh, who, who I saw go very sweet guy who came back from Vietnam, very messed up. And that, that was the genesis of that. Uh, and trying to put myself in his shoes, trying to imagine that because I didn't go, I wasn't about to go, <laughs> uh, you know, that I'm not that brave or that, or that dumb, but um, the other character is a character called Nathan Heller. And Nathan Heller is the private detective in the in the 1930s, starts in the 1930s. But all of these stories about him, all these novels, are real crimes that I research like I was going to do a nonfiction book. Okay. And and so so he's he's been involved with the Lindbergh kidnapping and you know he's involved with uh he was involved with the Roswell incident. I mean any famous thing that has mystery surrounded with And I age him up through the years. So that by the time he's looking into the, you know, the Kennedy assassination, he's in his fifties, and it, it, so it's not just it's not just like little orphan Annie who's always eleven years old. You know, it's he. I, I like to have it. I like I like the recurring character, but I want him a, want the recurring character a little more real. Uh, so I think that's easier to to identify with. So those are my my what do two you- favorites. Characters, but I like them all. I, I'm glad to hear.
1: I'm glad to hear that. Would you want to take credit for a Marvel's current life story runs? Because that sounds very similar to um, I, what I, um, I, a lot I, of I'm, I'm, I'm out of the loop on,
2: on, on, on comics now. Uh, my my interests are. This kind of fits in with what we were talking about earlier. Where I said when I've done so, something, I kind of walk away from it. It's like I was the biggest mystery fan you could imagine reading mysteries. And once I started writing them, publishing, not writing them, publishing them, I pretty much stopped reading them except for the ones that I had grown up on loving. The, In other words, I kept taking the same vitamins I took <laughs> as a kid, basically. So I do read Mickey Spillane. I do read Raymond Chandler. I do read Rex Stout. These are all the, you know, Earl Stanley Gardner for your, per, for Perry Mason. Uh, Agatha Christie is a phenomenal writer, and she's sometimes dismissed because it's like, oh, that's just, you know, just, you know, it's just just the body in the library, you know, and it's it's so it's cozy and it's teacups and, but actually, if you really read her, it's pretty nasty. You know, there's <laughs> there's, there's you know, people getting their heads cut off in bathtubs and there's. Oh, nice. you got, you know, the the slasher movie, basically comes from her. And then there were none, where she put ten people on an island, and somebody's killing them off one at a time, and it's somebody within that group is responsible. And she oh. really started. And, and this is something she wrote. Really? Yeah, cool. something she wrote in the early thirties. Check that yeah. out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She. I gotta read cover. that. Well, there's a couple of good movies of it, uh, and there's there's a very like the good. Hundred- yeah, well, there's, there's, I think it's called. And then there are none. There's, there's a, I think it's a BBC, but it's, it's like a one, one of these British thing. You know, the British yeah. does incredible stuff with, with crime and mystery. Uh, yeah, it, it's the it, PBS it, doing. It. Yeah, very, <laughs> very, very hard, very hard knows some of that, that stuff.
0: Okay, so I just want to get back to, to the, the, the new book, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah.
2: So, let's... she is. I, 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 I thought it would be interesting to do something in World War II in in Los Angeles, where you've got you've got all the negativity of the war with in in the in the fantasy land of Hollywood, and also it's a time where women were being thrust into the workforce because the young men are all pumped into the into the military, and so they go, so the idea of putting her into a defense plant, into an aircraft plant, and the whole Rosie the Riveter thing, where she's she's going in, and somebody there's a has been an apparent murder in there, and she goes in undercover, and then I also play around around with the fact that she is she's she's from a wealthy family, and. Her father is a, an ex-cop who became a very successful private investigator working for all the movie studios, a lot of money there. And he married a socialite who's a very snooty woman, beautiful, but snooty and really shallow. And, you know, she wants her pretty daughter who's who's just gotten out of college to be a debutante and go that whole high high society kind of thing. And what she wants to do is work for her father. Well, when the war comes along, he basically shuts down his agency and goes, goes back into the service as an officer and leaves her behind. He says, that you just look after the place. you know. Answer the phone, make referrals to the other agencies, you know. do a little sweeping, do a little dusting. And of course, instead, she goes full bore with the agency. <laughs> <laughs> And in all of these stories I've done about her, I've done three that there's two more waiting in line here that we'll see over the next year and a half. Um, she goes undercover. And so it's what well, I think is very interesting in the first one. We have this this young woman who comes from money, and now she's she's gotta interact with, you know, the black chick, the, you know, the the you know the the Hispanic girl, the you know the old the, the old gal who came from Oklahoma uh you know the, the the native american and all these people that are really outside her you know anything she's she's experienced I mean she went to some fancy girl school in in the east so what how's she going to relate how she how are they going to relate to her are they going to see through the fact that she isn't who she says she is meanwhile somebody's uh, There's a killer on the loose, which there usually is in these stories, right? And the format is a lot of fun because in addition to Faye doing these incredible paintings, and they're paintings that come, there's there's 10 of them, there's 10 chapters. Mm. So you've got the cover and 10 paintings. It's 30,000 words. Now, most mystery novels are going to be a minimum of 60,000, maybe 50. So 30 is... That's down and dirty, and I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the pace of it, that it clips. I don't know if you're reading it now. It clips along, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it it does really well. And you know, the whole introduction of the cast and all, and it has its humor in it it as well from that era as well. You capture that 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 essence of it.
2: Well, thank you. I one thing that really annoys me with historical stuff is when they when they don't when the dialogue is full of things that. Were, we're not expressions at the time.
0: Yes, yes, and, and and that
2: was one of my big problems with the HBO uh, Perry Mason. the The thing looks absolutely authentic, and everything they say is was was like expressions from today. Yes, I'm like, no, I, some of this stuff. <laughs> you no, know, that that expression wasn't around a year ago. Yeah. My wife
0: does that when we watch a movie that's maybe based in the '90s era, so that's our 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 slang era, yes, if you will. And she says, you know, and she sees somebody using a slang from now, it's like we weren't using that yet, blah blah blah. You know, she catches these things like just like yo, they getting it all wrong. Who are they talking to? <laughs>
2: well, and you know why? I mean, she's right because it pulls you out of it, and some people don't notice it. Okay, they don't, and that's fine, but it. You don't want to pull them out of the story. You mm-hmm. want to keep them, you know, keep them, keep them inside that story. Yeah, because uh, we get
0: stuck on it. Like, wait a minute. If we start having a little discussion and, like, the movie's going on. <laughs> we, we, yeah, we, well, you
2: know. yeah. My, my wife is that way, too. And uh she, she's, you know, so, and, and that's why I have her proof all my stuff, you know, so she can say, uh-uh,
0: no, <laughs> you know. No, no, Matt. It's always Matt's
2: good to have, you, you know. I, I, I don't. I think you got to have some smart eyes look at your stuff before it goes in. Somebody you trust.
1: Now, was it her decision for you guys to stay up in Iowa, or why did you <laughs> guys decide to stay there? I,
2: I stayed in Iowa basically because in in uh, this was 19. I graduated in 1966. You don't want to do the math. It's depressing. <laughs> uh but I ha- I was in I have a rock and roll band going and I did not want to leave my rock and roll band. So instead of going out to college someplace, I stayed and went to community college so I could keep my band together. And and then then I went on to the University of Iowa, which is just about forty miles from my house. So I commuted and kept my band together. And you know that So what happened to the band? <laughs> I, I still play. Really? What do you play? I play keyboards, uh, and uh, I I sing. Oh, yeah. thank oh. okay.
0: you. Have you been oh, recorded anywhere? Are we yeah. gonna get Max Collins sings the Blues album soon or something? What's going on? No, here?
2: there are a couple of things out there, but uh, there's there's a somewhat infamous, um, there's a there's a record called. You can look this up on YouTube. It's called Psychedelic Siren. Okay. We recorded it. It was it was uh, on Dial Records, which was a subsidiary of Atlantic, which oh. is big time. Okay, and we recorded Lord it. Terror Squad was over there. <laughs> we, we, we we recorded it in uh, in in Nashville, and it was in the same studio that all kinds of people like, you know, Bob Dylan and all kinds of people. Gotcha. Elvis Legends. God, well, have been there, and we weren't legends, but we were, we recorded there and it was released really, it was our only release we had a five year contract and they never asked us to do another record <laughs>
1: Yo, but they, they just uh, y'all ride that out
2: <laughs> but, but we were a regional hit and uh there's uh we we got into the Iowa rock and roll hall of fame about ten years ago and oh what and the yeah. original the original band playing that song is is post is posted on um youtube but also about half a dozen bands around america and around the world have covered us because it, it's one of those garage band songs that got picked up on a lot of the compilation cds that were done things like not we all weren't on nuggets but those nuggets if you've ever yeah. seen those yeah. uh it, i think we're on one called psychedelic unknowns uh, <laughs> and uh but but it, it it's among collectors it's a uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a known entity. And, all right.
0: Um, I got to know this then. So if, if you guys cut an album, have you ever been to a convention or, or an outing where somebody has brought you the record? Like I remember this, but when you were there for books.
2: Yeah. All, all the oh really? Oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And, and I, I kept the, the one band stayed together for 10 years and uh, for fuck no more like six years. And there were about three years we weren't playing and my a pal of mine and I, who were kind of the, you know, the closest thing to the, you know, to the Paul and John of the, of the band, <laughs> uh, what we were saying like, I like to play again, but I don't like the music. It was disco was going on. And uh, I was like, I don't like this. And he, I said, I know, let's take the old list and call it nostalgia. So we went out and we called the band cruising and we did it f- and we, we were the one of the first sixties bands in the country because the sixties had only been about four years ago. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, a '60s band, And um, various versions we've had, we've had a lot. I mean, people have passed away. I mean, it's been a long haul, yeah. but we still play. We played three gigs this, this summer. Uh, so, so what was
1: that like riding through like your city and your state and, you know, girls showing you their ankle while you're while well, playing on the
2: radio iowa illinois but the, the the exciting thing was and these names may or may not mean anything to you but we opened for some big acts at the time um the rascals no, the uh, you know uh the buckinghams uh we actually opened for uh Iggy Pop once,
0: okay. and we
2: opened for the Romantics, and I mean, we we opened for a lot of a lot of folks. Um, Flo and Eddie, who were the Turtles, uh, I actually went to an oldie show about a month ago, and about three of the main of the acts there were acts that that we had opened for years ago. Oh, uh, so I love you. You know, it, it's it's all creativity. It's all sort of all storytelling in a way. If you get
0: Yes, sir. All right. I don't want to keep it too much longer, but now okay, since you were in music and you're a, a, a fantastic writer, well, what type you. of music do you tune into, if at all, when you're being trying to get into your creative space?
2: Well, you know, I don't listen to music when I, I used to. When I was a kid, I'd listen to music, but now I find, for a long time, found that I'll just stop and listen. So I... <laughs> you know, I supposed to be working. I just be listening, but when I will, what what I will do is I'll put stuff on when I'm doing sort of the editing kind of stuff, like entering things. I've made corrections now. I'm going to enter stuff. I can have music on. Uh, I do listen to a lot of music. I I I feel kind of bad that I'm out of step now, but I I do. But the newest thing I listen to is Weezer, which is uh-huh. on that's is great. Why. I love yeah. Weezer. Weezer's, I my, my son introduced me to him, basically. Uh, in fact, this is, I'll, just, I'll tell you, there's a tiny story is that I, my my son, when he was going to, just getting in, out of high school, was going to do this, this long road trip to go see Weezer with all his friends. And I just had dad images of, oh, my God, these, you know, these five guys are gonna be in dead in a ditch and <laughs> the flames are gonna be high. And so I said, I wanna I wanna to go to that. I, I wanna see that too. It was Weezer. And so so I, you know, I I talked to him to let me drive him there. And then and I'm just like, Oh god, what am I in for? And so so they're down in the the mosh pit area, you know, they're down in the crazy world. And then I I go up and you know, just me and an old man and go up to the <laughs> i go I, I i go up to the balcony and i'm sitting there and uh but first thing with, though it which was really great was that tenacious d was opening which oh, is Jack wow, cool and i knew that and that was one of the reasons i went there so i was up for that and then weezer comes on and i'm just sitting there and i, I hear about two bars and i'm leaning forward and I, I'm like, holy cow! And this, this is rock and roll. This is the real deal. And and so, so at the break, I'm down, I'm down, you know, down downstairs where they got the merch, and, and I run into my son, and we're both buying merch at the same, for the same day and, <laughs> nice. you know. So now we we both have kind of the same band. I should mention his name. His name is Nathan Collins. Uh, he Shout is, out Nathan. He is uh, a translator. He's obviously more much more smart than I am. He's a translator of Japanese to English. Oh. No. And nice. he is the translator on a really great manga called Jojo's Bizarre Adventures. Oh, he Yo, works on that? that Say word. Yes. So he's, doing yeah, yeah. he's the translator. Crazy. For Shonjo? Jojo. Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah, for the manga? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Oh, that's about, crazy. He's done about eight of them, I think. He, there was somebody for a while, and then he, he's done all the more recent stuff, and he also was the translator of uh, the novel, ready? Battle Royale. No. Yeah, he translated that. And Whoa. so he, he's, a, he's, he's a major talent. He's, oh,
0: you know, we got to have him on one day and talk that's some brilliant. manga and stuff. Oh, uh,
2: yeah. He, he, yeah, because, and he's done all kinds of stuff. Uh, he's also done video games and uh, he 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 lived over there for a year uh and so in fact uh, this can be our parting shot if you want it to be but but you know road to perdition was influenced by lone wolf and cub obviously so we were at together at uh san diego con and uh the creator of uh lone wolf and cub i don't want to butcher his name uh, but he was doing a panel. And they they had a translator there to do the panel with him. And Nate and I are sitting in the audience. And so they had the questions that they had how they'll line up at the microphone. Mm-hmm. And so somebody asks him, What do you think about you know, Road to Perdition? And he named a couple other things that had drawn upon uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. And uh, through the translator, he said, um, I just wish that they would take the time to thank me and, you know, for, you know, for what I did. And so afterwards, <laughs> we go up front and Nate's standing with me, looking about as all American as you can look like, and, and says right to him in Japanese, this is my father. He wrote Road to Perdition. He, he wants to tell you, thank you. And he's a big fan. <laughs> and, he was, you know, and he, he was see, floored.
0: Like, what in the hell? Oh, yeah. On the spot well, all,
2: what is this? This this little this white kid doing? <laughs> shouting Japanese at me, you know. Oh man. Uh So 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 that was my uh my encounter. That's crazy. I know you were proud. <laughs> it's a lot of fun talking to you guys. It's
0: yeah. It's, it's, I want to do oh, mention one thing yeah, before you great, left. Great, Max. Yeah, before you leave, I do want to mention this thing because you mentioned that Mickey Spillane was one of your heroes. Absolutely. Didn't you get some? Kind of meet him, and work with. Oh,
2: we were, we were, (laughs) we were very good friends. Uh, I was, um, he was my hero growing up. I'm so happy that you know who Mickey Spillane is because sometimes I have to explain who Mickey Spillane is to people, (laughs) even though he was the best-selling mystery writer of the 20th century. Yes. Okay, Uh, but that was what 20 years ago now. So what the hell? Uh, But uh, I wrote him fan letter after fan letter as a kid. And uh, never heard back. And then when I sold my first two books, I sent them to him. And I got a really warm letter back. Ooh. But he was somebody who was really controversial. And as a fan, I did a lot of articles, essays, defending him. I wrote seriously about him. And, and there were people that knew, even before I was writing my novels, who knew that oh, that Max Collins guy? He he's he's the Mickey's Splane guy. He's the guy in, <laughs> who defends Mickey's Splane Who really that's Mickey's boy. The, that's Mickey's boy. And so um, the Boucher Con, which is the big mystery fan convention, like San Diego Con, not nothing's like San Diego Con. But they in 1981 they contacted me and said he's going to be special guest here. Splane's going to be a special guest here. It was in Milwaukee. And Miller Lite, he was doing those commercials for them, Hmm. you'll remember, Hmm. were bringing him in and sponsoring him, and he was going to be one of the guests of honor. And they asked me, he'd never done a convention before. He said, would you be the liaison? And I'm like, oh, God, sure. And so I, you guys, I think, will understand this because you're fans. I didn't sleep the night before. <laughs> yeah. I was Yo. frightened. I was frightened that he'd be, be a jerk. Yeah, because when you idolize somebody and you meet them and they're a jerk, your world comes crashing yeah. down.
0: Never meet your hero it starts being heard everywhere.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've been lucky. Uh, but I sure was lucky with Mickey because they took me up to his room and he, he answered the door and they said, from the convention, you know, Max this is. Uh, this is Mickey, Mickey, this is, this is Max Collins. And he says, Oh, I know Max, we've been corresponding for years. And I said, that's right, Mickey, a hundred letters from me, one letter from you. <laughs> <laughs> and, wow, and I, That's a he fair ratio. Burst into laughter and we were, we were immediately good friends.
0: Oh, and nice. He,
2: and then I started visiting him in his home uh, a couple times a year. We did a bunch of projects together. Um, and, um, I mentioned my son, Nathan, he's Nathan's godfather. And then when he, uh, w- he, he died of pancreatic cancer. And that was in 2006. That's not a, you don't want that phone call. Um, he he called me and told me what was happening. And he said, I'm working on, on my, he hadn't done uh, my camera in a long time. He said, I'm working on one. I don't think I'm gonna get it finished. If I don't, would you finish it? And I said, oh, wow. absolutely, Yo, wow. absolutely. So I don't want to, I don't want to have to, but I'm there if you need me. And then he apparently right away went to his wife and said, when I'm uh, when I'm gone, there's going to be a treasure hunt around here. He had three offices in this place. Oh, shit. Take everything you can you can find and give it to Max. He'll know what to do. Well, he had started, it turned out he had started, you know, a dozen books that he hadn't finished. And so I ended up being essentially the literary executor. And I've done, I don't know how many books. If I've, fin- I, there, I've doubled the number of my camera books, all of which are hmm. finishing books he started. Crazy. Where he maybe wrote 100 pages and then I, I turned it into 300. So we had a. I'm very close to him. Um, I, I'm. I'm the project I'm working on right now. All this you can't see. All this crap on my desk. but <laughs> The stuff that's. This is a, a. This is. This room looks neat. It is not. It's, <laughs> from here down, it's, it's an illusion. Know, it's <laughs> absolutely mean. an illusion. And he. Um, I'm doing a biography of his life with oh. with another fan, Jim Jim Trailer, uh, and it's gonna be done by Mysterious Press. Next year is the 75th anniversary of Mike Hammer. Wow. Mike Hammer's first book, I the Jury, came out in 1947 and changed everything about the way we perceive heroes. Um he was the first really badass um hero. There's 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 no James Bond, there's there's no Frank Miller Batman. Frank Miller is a stone Mickey Spillane freak.
0: Yeah, you know? But it's Mike Hammer. It says it on the name. The name itself Just like, the name. right? Mike, Mike Hammer. Hammer.
2: Got any questions?
0: <laughs> you gotta say it with the New York Mike Hammer, you know?
2: Yeah, that's
0: it. That's it. <laughs> awesome. It's funny
2: because he 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 claimed he hated New York, but he was absolutely a poet of New York. Nobody wrote about New York and the rain better than Mickey Spillane.
1: Yeah.
2: You're wow. there, man. You've, 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 wow. yeah.
0: When you hate something, you can write about it as passionately as when you love something. <laughs> That's what he it said is. That, right.
2: that rain was the sweat of the city.
0: Oh, yeah. And definitely smelled like it, too. I That's grew right. up in New York. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I grew up yeah. in Greenpoint by by what we call the Ship Factory. That's where they used to process sewage. Well,
2: he, so he who was, knows?
0: You know, luckily none of us became mutants growing he up. He was over a,
2: there. Uh, a lifeguard at uh, Breezy Point. Okay. You know that? It, yes, like yes, yes. Of Flatbush Avenue.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. So he, wow. yeah,
2: yeah, he was born in Brooklyn, but he he was raised a lot. A lot of his uh, your year, early years were in in New Jersey.
0: Okay. Um, which I, which I like to call New York's dumpster, and I said that in a, just kiddingly one day. Wow, people people got so mad. Like I'm just playing.
2: People hate the truth, though.
1: <laughs> right, yeah, right. Y'all, y'all yeah. put it on where Red Man was born. That's, that's oh. cold. I'm curious though. Um, is this your first memoir that you're writing?
2: I, I've done some other nonfiction. I did did uh, with a uh, guy named uh, Brad Schwartz we did two books on the real story of elliot ness the first book is about the capone stuff and then the second is when he went when ness was the safety editor of um uh, of cleveland i'm sorry the phone right i just got rid of it so so sorry yeah i've done that i did a book called history of mystery which is a a book about the history of mystery it says it in the title like my camera says what my camera is and so i've done a, a smattering of of nonfiction i'm a very big believer in you know if you're going to be a freelancer the the more trouble you're going to have is the more narrow your focus is if you can if you can learn to operate in different areas you have a better chance of making a living because the I, I I don't remember the exact